Hi, everybody. How you doing? Everybody good? Yeah? Doing all right? I want to say hi to everybody online, everybody in the cars. Everybody good? All right. Cool. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, um, did you ever tell you about growing up in Chicago and when we had snow and we still had church in the winter? It wasn't this cold. I'm just serious. It wasn't. Actually, uh, I remember one Sunday, nobody came to church except for there was so much snow that the church owned a four-wheel drive pickup, and they, would sent, they sent drivers out to pick up all the pastors, and that was it. It was just us. Terrible offering. But anyway. <laughs> so here's the deal. I want to talk about, we're talking about detoxing and uh, a lot of things we need to detox from in, in the last year. Some bad habits, bad thoughts, some uh, uh, bad attitudes probably. Uh, so anyway, uh, Jesus tells this great parable. I'm not going to talk about it today, but I do want to start with it. <clears throat> and we call it the parable of the prodigal son, and it's really not about the prodigal son because prodigal sons are not that unusual. It's the parable of the uh, unconditionally loving father, and uh, that's the unusual part. And if you remember the story, the son says to his dad, I want, uh, I want my part of the inheritance, um, culturally just wet a line, and ran off and, and spent it in wild living, and he's laying in a pig pen uh, feeding the pigs, bad place for a Jewish kid, and uh, he says, I should go home to my dad and be one of his servants. And in essence, what happens in that, in that moment is he says, why am I living this way? He just wakes up and goes, why am I living this way? I don't have to live this way. I can go home, and even if my dad doesn't accept me as his child, he, his servants are better treated than this. Why am I living this way? I think there are times in life we have to come to a place and just kind of be honest about where we're at and just look at ourselves and go, why am I living this way? Why am I living under fear or worry or anxiety? Why am I putting up with, with these bad attitudes or, or these poor relationships or this bad marriage? Why am I living this way? And I think when we come to those moments, whether it's about our entire life or just some segment of our life, we finally come to those moments, I think we're ready to make some changes and to become who God wants us to be and to grow forward into who God's called us to be. So I want to talk a little bit about detoxing, detoxing from some things like fear, fatalism, the slave mentality. Because here's what happens. <clears throat> I think we have been inundated with fear from all kinds of sources in the past few years, especially the past year. I think we have also kind of given up, like we can't control our destiny. They're going to tell us when we can leave or when we can do this or when the vaccine comes in. It just seems like everything is out of our control. And we begin to be a slave to the circumstances, when in reality we are children of the King and we are invited to be with Him, no matter what the circumstances are. And as long as we can be with Him, we can rejoice, we can be gentle, under control, and we can be at peace. And I think it is time for some of us to take our lives back uh, back to God, and together with God to, to go forward. And I am really praying for, believing for, and anticipating this year being a year of moving forward and progress in our, in our lives, in our families, in our spiritual development, and in our church. So I just want to talk about some things that maybe we haven't had a chance to think about. I asked a question recently to some people, and I said, tell me the best possible thing that could happen in 2021. And it was like I just asked them something in a foreign language. It was almost like they looked at me like, nothing good can come from 2021. Nothing good came from 2020, and nothing good will ever come again. Okay, they didn't actually say that, but it was kind of a, like, what an inappropriate question. How could you dare dream for something really good to happen this year? We're just hoping to survive and get a vaccine and make it through. And yet, I don't think that's what we as Christians are called to do. So I want us to just, for a moment, there's a song a few years ago, Free Your Mind and the Rest Will Follow, something like that. You remember it? Anybody? 
Yes? No? Got a honk. Good enough. I'll take it. Um, I believe that we need to fill our mind and our spirit with the Spirit of God, with the hope that He gives us. And then our attitude can follow. Then our actions can follow. Then our improvements and growth can follow. And so I want to talk about the best possible life. I think there is in Scripture these, these, these glimpses of what kind of life we were created to live and can with God's help. So Philippians 4. Let me start with uh, verse 4 through 7. It says, here's, the kind of, here's kind of a picture of the kind of life we could have. And I don't think it, I don't know that our lives over the last year have measured up very well. So let's look at this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Much rejoicing last year? Maybe some. Maybe some. Um, uh, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, very familiar passage. But in that is described a kind of life, a quality of life, a kind of life that is about, uh, about peace. It's about, it's about being okay in the moment. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say, we have reason to rejoice. Even those of us who have lost someone we love, who have gone on to heaven, we have reason to rejoice. We'll be reconciled with them. There with the Father, there is always, as a, by the way, Paul is writing this chained to a Roman soldier uh, about to face trial or in trial, uh, and eventually his life will be taken, and he knows that, and yet he's still talking about rejoicing. There must be some kind of life, some kind of way of living, of being, that, uh, that your entire attitude and your understanding of self and, and your uh, way of being is not dependent upon any circumstances. So, he says, choose to rejoice. You see, he's talking about this, this idea of rejoicing. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Uh, anxious is to pull apart. And, and, and what it means is part of you wants to hope for more. The other part of you is more realistic, and you just can't buy into more, and you're fearful, and you're worried, and so you just kind of get all pull apart in the deal. A lot of us have been living pulled apart lives. And he's saying, no, choose hope. Choose to rejoice. Choose that because God can do that for you. This over here is something else. It is not beneficial. We'll talk about it in a moment. Um, He says to rejoice and live this life of rejoicing and be gentle. Now, here is a word that we don't have uh, very often in our society. And it is a word I learned very young. And I'll give you the illustration. Uh, gentle isn't about being soft. It's not about being weak. It's not about being wimpy. It is actually being very strong. When I was a little kid, we used to have church softball leagues. Most ungodly thing that ever existed. Christians lose their whole Christianity when they start playing ball. It's the weirdest thing. I am telling you. One day, I remember as a little kid, it was a softball game. Slow pitch softball, no big deal, right? And somebody hit one, and a guy goes from first, and he's coming around third. He's going to try to score. The ball's coming, and there's going to be a collision. And it's not going to be a nice one. There's no, you know, brotherly love involved in this thing. This guy is coming down the line, and he is going to take out the catcher. The problem is he hasn't noticed that the catcher is built like a fire plug. You know what a fire plug is? Think of a stump. This guy is just, and he's got the ball, and he's ready, and he's just, and he's just waiting. And I'm just thinking, this poor kid coming on the line, he has no idea what he's about to hit. He's going to hit a brick wall. It's going to destroy him because he was intent on taking out the catcher. And the most amazing thing happened. And even as a little kid, I thought, what in the world just happened? And instead of doing what most people would do, drop the shoulder, hit him with the, with the tag, and probably put him out of the game, the catcher just tagged him and just let him hit him and rolled backwards in the dirt. I, I still remember the guy's, the guy's name, was, his last name was Floyd. 
And, and, and Keith Flurry. I still remember the guy's name. Because as my dad explained to me that, he said, you would see, Keith, see what Keith did there? He's an athlete. He competes. But you know what? He didn't want to hurt that kid. And he just absorbed the energy of that. He absorbed the hit, got the guy out, did the right thing, and nobody got hurt. That is gentleness. Does that make sense to you? Come on, that was a great illustration. Say something. Good grief if people are killing me. All right. So, thank you. So, that was my best illustration of the night. So, if you don't like that one, it's been a long evening. Here's what is interesting. We don't live in a society that is gentle. We are so frail and so weak and so insecure that any perceived offense, and we live at 100%, 110% alert for any offense that can happen so we can strike back. I'm really glad that that catcher didn't do that, that kid coming on the line. He really would have broken that kid in half. Sometimes being strong enough to just absorb some of the blows, knowing that you're in your relationship with God, you are set, you are good, you can be gentle, not reactionary, not angry, not ticked off. You're not living in fear. People who react like that are insecure and they're living in fear. But we are children of the Most High. We need to wake up and live like it. Quit living reactionary lives like everybody else. Anybody can be a great hero on the keyboard in mom's basement. But how many people can be strong enough to actually love someone they disagree with? Or have a conversation with someone that is completely in a different way of thinking? Be strong enough to actually absorb a little bit of the offense and just let it be okay. We are called to rejoice that we have a relationship with God, and because of that, be confident and gentle in our interactions with others, in our judgments. It says this, um, we are to then do not be anxious. Don't be pulled apart about everything. It says, as a matter of fact, so do not be anxious about anything, about anything. But in every situation, don't be anxious about anything. In every situation, talk to God first. If things are starting to get under your skin, things are starting to bring depression. I, I, I've, so many people struggle with depression the last few months, including me and everybody I know. It's just, it's just a heaviness sometimes. But the first thing we do is we talk to God. And he lays it out and he said, he doesn't just say, well, go pray. He gives us different words here. Paul gives us words. He gives us words, first of all, prayer. He says, with prayer. Prayer, in this sense, means a worshipful attitude. Not just marching into God's office going, okay, here's what I demand. It's God. Go with a reverence, a holiness, because in that reverence and holiness, it's not that God can be offended or his feelings are going to be. It reminds you who you're talking to. It reminds you you're talking to Almighty God who can solve the situation, who can change it if he decides to. Let's start with who God is. And so this prayer begins with a worshipful attitude, with adoration and, and devotion and worship, reminded of God's holiness and greatness. And then petition, which is just praying as an expression of me. God, it's a serious thing. God, I'm not just frivolously saying this. I need, I really need this. Now that I remember who you are and established, I really need help with this particular thing. It's sincere, intense communication. And then thanksgiving, remembering that God is the giver of good gifts. God is a good, and if he has given me good gifts before, he'll give me good gifts again. I can trust him with this one. And so I I am thankful. I express appreciation to God. And then request, here's my real need. Here's what I authentically need. And everything and every circumstance. Don't just wait till it gets big when it's just the beginning. Because remember, part of this prayer is not just getting things changed, but us coming to, grip with, coming to grips with anxiety and worry. And God is open for any conversation you want to have. Anything you're worried about. Anything that's, that is troubling you or about to trouble you. A conversation. And then he says, pray 
and then you'll receive a peace that passes understanding or is beyond understanding. So, so I can I could imagine someone saying, well, this whole prayer thing, it's a good, it's a good self-talk or it's a good meditation thing. But what he's saying here is that the peace you receive can't be explained purely psychologically. It's not just that you're able to talk your way through it. It's that God actually comes in and puts peace. He plants peace in the place of worry and anxiety. And he offers to do that every day, all day, all situations, in all circumstances. He offers to do that, for us to walk and live in peace, a peace that passes understanding. As a matter of fact, it says in this passage, it says it transcends all understanding, and it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So one of the things that I have become very aware of in the last several months is the need to guard my mind and my heart. I feel like, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a, a good illustration of this. Maybe, a, I don't know, an agricultural illustration. Maybe, a, maybe um, I don't know, chickens. If you've ever been out, out in, in the country at a farm, there's always something to try to get in the, get in the chicken. There's always something, either a hawk trying to get in or a fox trying to get in or something like that. And one of the best ways is to have a really great guard dog who will just stand guard and nothing's going to get there, nothing's going to get to them. The picture here is that peace is a sentry. Like, remember, Paul is chained to a, a, a soldier. It's the peace is the thing that is accompanying you that keeps everything out that would take away, take away uh, that, that peace of mind and invade with worry or anxiety. It's like you're standing there with your own personal detail of protection. That's what peace is to be. And if we lose our peace, it's because we stepped outside of that sentry, outside of that protection, and stopped depending on God and giving things to Him in prayer. Here's how we do this, by the way. The way we do this is through uh, a great passage in 2 Corinthians 10. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. By the way, if you doubt that that is true, have you even watched anything in the last year? The only weapons that have been at all effective in my life are spiritual weapons, because I couldn't do anything about anything else. It is only as I came to God that anything changed in my circumstance, my attitude, my understanding. We do not fight. We do not manipulate. We do not strong arm. We do not do all the other things that the world does. We go to God and allow His peace to, to carry us. Not weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension. So part of what he's saying here is that there are all kinds of people with all kinds of ideas. Most of them are not true. And just getting out in the marketplace of ideas isn't going to help you. Just finding some more ideas or a new idea or one you like better or something you like, it's not going to help you. What you need is the power of God at work in your life, which will destroy falsehoods. Right now, one of the hardest things in our world is to tell who's telling the truth. And yet he's saying, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the peace that accompanies the truth that comes from God will help you know what is true and what is not true. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Take captive every thought. It's just a kind of a weird thing, but maybe I could... You ever, you ever eat something that's got like, maybe like beans? See, now we don't eat beans in California too much. I grew up in a hillbilly household. We used to eat beans all the time. Pinto beans, big old chunk of ham hock in there. Really healthy. And every once in a while, somebody didn't sort the beans, and you'd get a rock. You ever heard of that? You ever heard of this kind of thing happening? You people eat. Do you know what a bean looks like? The way, you, the way you keep that from happening is before you 
cook the beans or you soak them overnight. You pick through and you take the rocks out. Same thing is true with our thoughts. We pick through our thoughts and we look at this one's okay. This is God honoring. This one is not okay. And it doesn't mean, doesn't mean you, you can prevent something coming in your mind. What you can do is throw it out as soon as it gets there if it's not of God. And we need to take captive the thoughts because they will, they will lead us to an attitude, to behaviors, to a destiny, and it all begins with taking captive every thought. And so the best possible life is one in which we're aware of guarding, allowing the peace of God to guard our thoughts so that we think the right kinds of thoughts. I'll talk more about that in this next section, but let me just talk about the best possible life is the life that God designs for you. He designs a better life for you than you could design for yourself. And that life is full of potential. It is full of potential. Uh, if we think about it, we're either going to live life the way God wants us to, or we live by somebody else's dictates, even, maybe even our own ideas. There's a great, uh, Max Lucado, great author, pastor, talks about the um, children of Israel who had been in slavery, and they finally got taken out of Egypt, but they couldn't get Egypt out of the people. They got the people out of Egypt, but they couldn't get the slave mindset out of the people. And so when God led them out of slavery in Egypt and wanted to lead them to the promised land, they had a case of the I can'ts. I can't. I start, I'm starting to see this set into people's lives a little bit right now, where I can't. I can't, because everything else seems to have been taken away. I can't hope for that. I can't fix that. I can't do anything about that. I can't. And yet, there are some things that you can and you must do. And part of them is guarding your mind and guarding your attitude and your character development. Um, and it begins with this idea of, of understanding that God is in charge and that you can be a can't or a can person. People who follow Jesus are can type people. As it says, starting in verse 8 of that same section, Philippians 4. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What we're thinking about, we have, uh, it seems like we have some, a little more time on our hands because we can't go out and do some things we used to do. And what we're allowing our mind to go to, what we're thinking about has not been, um, at, at sometimes for me, um, the most productive thing. And uh, I began to feel uh, um, trapped or diminished or disappointed or discouraged or even depressed given some of the things I look at in the world. And yet, here is Paul telling us, as a prisoner, he is telling us, this is how you fight this battle. And, it, and it's, it's great. I had an interesting thing happen to me uh, this week. Um, go through life, doing what I need to do. And then just in a, in a conversation, I just began to talk about a project I wanted to take on. And it was so interesting that my, I found, in later evaluating it, I found that my whole entire spirit, my whole kind of mood was lifted just by that simple act of dreaming just about that much about a project. Just thinking a little bit forward. We can't control much of anything. We don't know what's going to happen to me. But just the thought of doing this one little project, just thinking about what that could be, just because I believe that, that God is our maker. He is our creator. He wants us to be making. He wants us to be creating, to be moving forward. And I think sometimes we have allowed our circumstances to give us the case of the I can'ts, when in reality he says you can and you will if you let me help you. So I found myself, my whole mood was just kind of lifted. I found myself having some fresh enthusiasm for life and, and for going forward. And I think that we need to think things that help us to dream, help us to look forward, help us to move and not be stuck. So he says that we're to do this. Whatever is true, whatever is true, 
Uh, his name is Dr. Cavert. I don't know what he's doctor of, but I read the statistic recently, and he, he says that only 8% of the things that you tend to worry about are even possible. Only 8%. 92% of the things that you worry about are not, not going to happen and aren't under, in, under your control. If they were to happen, you are wasting all that time. If, if we realize that this battle to move forward, this battle <clears throat> to become like Jesus is a spiritual battle, then what we think is critical in this area. And we need to make sure that we're thinking about things that are true. Things that are true. Not just things that, that are, are nice. Things that are true. And Again, I think we have a serious problem in our nation with social media, both sides, everywhere. We don't know what is true. But let me tell you what I know is true. Let me tell you what I can return to day after day and know that it is true. I don't have to look the background of the person saying it. It's right here. If I can read his word, I can read the truth. Now, here's what happens. When we experience and we meditate on, we think about what is true, it brings freedom. The truth sets you free. What does the enemy of our soul want to do? Wants to lie to us, wants us to think about lies. Lies of the 92% of things that aren't gonna bother us. He wants us to think about those things. The enemy of our character development, our soul, is one who is a liar and lies to us. Some of us have been lied to. Not only does he talk about what is true, but what is right. And and there's a couple of, I kind of change the order of these around a little bit as I think about them. Because I think there's a group of these that talk about you thinking about your values reaffirming your strong values. And this first section, uh, these these ones I'm going to give you first, true, and what is right, Um, what is is pure, what is excellent. These are things that we should value. These are values we should have. We should identify them, what is right. If we're swimming in what is wrong, it is a... probably a wrong thing to try to assign motives to people. But I have to be honest, when I hear certain of the more uh, outlandish things that I've been hearing in the media in the last several months about one party or the other, I begin to think, this is not right. What they're saying and how they're saying it and the attitude with which they're saying it and possibly the motives for which they're saying it is not right. How can I bathe myself in wrong, in wrong information from people wanting to do something, some other agenda? How can I, how can I bathe myself in? How can I marinate in what is wrong and still think that I'm going to think right? It is very important to be affirming of and embracing of what is right. And if it's only Scripture I can read for a while, then it's only Scripture I'll read because I need to immerse myself in what is right. Not conforming to other people's standards or expectations, but what God says is right. And if the whole world says it's wrong, but God says it's right, I know where I stand. True, right, pure, which is not only morally upright, uh, but it's no angle, no duplicitous actions or it is, this is how it is. This is pure. This is beautiful. I would just challenge you. Just think about these words. And they all sound like, oh, they're nice words. Well, just, just, just think of something. What is pure? Can you think of anything in your life that is pure? I, you don't have to say it out loud. I just want you to think about it. What is really pure? Are any of your actions pure? Is your even love for your family completely pure? I was trying to think of something that's really pure. I was thinking like honey. Maybe honey is pure. I don't, I don't know what it's made of. I was thinking like my grandkids' laughter when they really get tickled. 
That's just pure, isn't it? You see, there's so few things that are pure without ulterior motives, without other agendas. There's so things that that are pure. What if we became experts on what is pure? It would change the way we think. It would change the way we deal with our issues. And then excellent. Excellence. For me, I was thinking about this one. This is about not settling. So much of my life says, ah, it's good enough. Compromise. Yeah, you had some thoughts you shouldn't have had, but, you, you know, no harm done. Yeah, you get a little bit of an attitude on that person, but, you know, that's not a big Settling. Excellence is about never settling for less than God's best. And we begin to pursue those things. We begin to think about those things. We begin to find a different agenda for our lives, one less reactionary and one more proactive. Not only affirm your strong values, but even observe godliness in others. One of the greatest ways to have these kind of thoughts is to observe others. Things like people who are, who are noble. Do you know anybody who's noble? <clears throat> There's a couple in our church. I'm going to write them a letter this, this week who I've observed over the many years. And what they do with their lives, how they serve others is noble. There's no other way to describe it. It is noble. It is not about self-serving. It's not about getting It is about giving, it is about loving, it is about extending the love of Jesus in ways that are tangible and practical. It is truly noble. In a world where almost almost nobody seems to be doing the right things for the right reason, it is unbelievable to study people who are noble and to emulate them. Whatever is admirable, which is what rings true to the highest standards, admirable, there is a quality in that person there's a quality in that family or in that marriage that I would do well to study and to, to understand whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is worthy of emulating. I should be thinking about those things. You see, if you're like me at all, you're really good at picking other people apart. You're really good at finding fault. You're really good at finding what's wrong with this person or that person or that organization or that organization. I'm really good at finding fault. I'm not as good as finding, at finding praiseworthy things. And yet, which one builds me up more? Do I get built up by tearing other people down or do I get built up by emulating those who are ahead of me on a journey? And I can learn from them. Praiseworthy. And then just lastly, just engage your senses. I was on a ski lift not long ago. Uh, it's, that's the one up in the mountains with the snow, that thing. And, uh, and I was just thinking, you know, beauty for me, what is loveliness and beauty, is one of the greatest evidences of God. I was riding with, with my son-in-law, Matt, and I said, there is no, I mean, it's cold. It was like, you know, three degrees. And, and there's snow, and it's snow, and it's crazy. And I said, there is nothing in an evolutionary sense that should be beautiful about this. Everything about this scene, I was, you know, 40, 50 feet in the air on a chairlift. There's snow. It's cold. Everything about this scene is threatening to my very existence, and yet it is unbelievably beautiful. It reminds me that God put beauty there to remind us how much he cares for us. Think about those things which are lovely, things that are, that are great evidences of God, great evidences of His care for us and His love for us. If we are to live the life that God has called us to, we need to recognize that there is this great life that God intends for us. Get up from where we are and say, I don't need to live this way anymore. And then begin to pursue that through right thinking, through thinking the way God wants us to think. And then beginning to prepare for the potential of what He has for us. My hope is that this year, some, at some point, things are going to break loose in whatever way that is, and, and we're going to get to do a lot of things we haven't done, including go back inside. But what I want to do is, in the meantime, not waste the time just waiting. I want to be preparing. Our staff is working hard. We're thinking about ideas and ways to, to, to just make things better now and in the future. 
Uh, we're still working on the future building that uh, we're just working on the permits now. We're working on preparing for those potential opportunities. And my question for all of us is, is are we working on those potential opportunities? He says in verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. There is incredible value in dreaming with others, in learning from others. Paul is saying to these people, I have told you about the faith, and you have watched me live it out. As you have done that, begin to put it into practice. Begin to practice being the kind of people that God wants you to be. And then he finishes with this this thought, that we can have a life of positive perseverance, even in light of difficult circumstances, even in the midst of being a prisoner or a pandemic. In four the last part of 11 through 13. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. I can. I can. I want to be an I can kind of person. Not me in my own strength, not me alone, but in relationship, because it's in Christ, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. I'd like us to tackle this new year, leaving behind some of the I can'ts. The I can'ts. The I, I, can't, I can't deal with this marriage anymore. I can't, I can't go another day. I can't survive. I can't whatever. Leave it behind and realize that with God you can. And so I'd like you to just, maybe in the next couple of minutes, think about something you need to change your attitude about that you need to invite God into and say, God, with you, with a relationship with you, with being empowered by you, I can. Whatever that thing is that's haunting and that's worrying you, that, that, it's, that it's kind of just hanging out there on the edge of your mind at all times that you're worried about, what if you change and said, God, with your help, I can. Maybe as a church, we need to think about what we can do with God's help. We can. We can, even in the midst of pandemic, reach new people with the good news of Jesus. What is the I can that you need to commit to today? And allow yourself to detox from the I can'ts. Let's pray. Lord God, today, I still don't know what we're doing. (laughs) We have been doing this for so many months. I still don't know where we're headed. I don't know how we're going to get there. And I can't, in and of myself, can't figure it out. And yet, Lord God, what I can do is trust you. I can think noble thoughts. I can think higher thoughts. I can elevate my aspirations. I can turn my eyes toward you, and I can do all that you're going to call me to do, all that you're going to give me opportunity to do in this new year. And so, Lord God, I lift my head, I turn my eyes to you, and I say to you, with you, I can. Lord, if there's someone here today who's about to give up on their marriage, I pray that you'll give them the courage and the hope to believe that with you, they can. They can work through it. They can find healing and hope and restoration. I pray today, Lord God, for someone who's about to give up financially. It's about to overwhelm them. Lord God, I pray that they would understand with you, they can. They can not only survive, but they can thrive. Lord God, there is a better day coming for them if they will just put their hope in you. Lord, for those who are living in fear of whatever, maybe it's the pandemic itself or it's the loss or whatever it might be, I pray that they would take their eyes off their circumstances, put their eyes on you, and know that they can and they will survive because you are with them. Lord God, heal them, make them whole, fill them up. In Jesus' name, amen.